Would you go with me to the book of Genesis today? Genesis chapter number 6. Jesus' name. Genesis chapter 6. This is familiar to many of us, so please do not allow the familiarity to cause you to disconnect. May we please hold to the scripture here and see what perhaps the Lord wants us to see here. Genesis chapter 6, starting with verse number 5. Genesis 6 and 5. Watch. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Now that verse right there, we're not going to stay there today, but you can study that verse alone right there, and you'll see it throughout Scripture, some element of it. There's some key things that are in that verse. Imagination, thoughts, and heart. And if you begin to study and look, you'll see many times this is the root of man's fall or rise in relationship with God. Imagination, thoughts, and heart. It's why the adversary attacks your mind. If he can get you to believe a lie, he can come against your imagination. When he comes against your imagination, you and I sometimes aid the adversary because we then begin to entertain the thought. And the longer we entertain the thought, then it starts getting into our heart and our emotions get highly engaged. And we'll either believe the truth of the word of God and stand on it, or we'll believe the lie of the adversary. But notice, this took man in a downward spiral without God. God saw the wickedness of man was great. Every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Verse 6, it's a sad state, isn't it? We're not very far from that in our world today. Verse 6, this is how bad it was. It repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. God repented. He had a change of thought about the fact that he ever created mankind. And he was grieved in his heart. God was. was grieved at his heart that he had ever made mankind. That's pretty bad. That's pretty bad. If you're a parent, I want you as a parent to imagine that you would be grieved that you ever had children because your children became so vile and so evil that you would say, I would to God, I'd never had those children. That's pretty stark, isn't it? That's where God was. It's pretty bad. So we got a picture of the condition of the world. We can read over that and gloss over that. But God is love, right? <laughs> is that right? <laughs> Some of y'all started hesitating, like, I don't know, is that a trick question? No, it's not a trick question. God is love, yes? Okay. Verse 7, and the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and the creeping thing, the fowls of the air, for it repents me that I have made them. God got to the point, God that is love, who doesn't change. Man's condition became so vile that the God of love said the only option here is to destroy them. 
See, we want to act like that's not in there. I, I remember I was on a business trip, and I was conversing with one of my colleagues, and it was one of those really difficult business trips. We were in Florida, and our hotel was on the beach. And so we, we drove into town to work, and then we drove back to the hotel. And so we, changed, we, we just walk and talk along the beach. We had a, lot, a good conversation. We walked hours up and down the beach. Some of us thought, well, that's sort of weird. Two guys just walking up and down the beach. But we were just talking, and it was like the Scripture and the Word and the Lord was with us this conversation for hours. And uh, he was wrestling with, you know, whether the Word of God was literal or not. And I said, well, what about the flood? He said, well, you know, I'm not, I'm like, you know, I'm not so sure that, like, really happened. Like, it more, you know, like, metaphorically. I remember stopping and looking at him like, what? Are you serious? It, it shocked me because he's a person that says he believes the word. But we have to know this is what the Lord did. Verse 8. Thank God for verse 8. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. There was a man. Everybody say, there was a man. There was a man that found grace in God's eyes. You can interpret that verse a lot of ways, I suppose. I've often thought that that meant Noah was looking on the face of the Lord. That's why he found grace in his eyes. Obviously, it's how the Lord viewed Noah. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And so the Lord said, I'm paraphrasing, I know you know the story. The Lord said, I can use him to save this lost world. And that's what he did. Because that's what God does with righteous people. And so, thank God for Noah. He found grace. Skip down to chapter 7. We're going to move fast. Oh, no. Don't do that. Sorry. I need to read a couple more verses in chapter 6. So skip down to verse number 12 in chapter 6. God looked on the earth and he was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted his way. Whose way? God's way. All flesh had corrupted God's way upon the earth. Man, that sounds like today. And God said to Noah, the end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with, watch, the earth is filled with violence. That sounds like today. Through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Now you make an ark of gopher wood, and this is how you're going to make it. This is how you're going to fashion it. This is how you're going to do it. The Bible says that Noah did according to all that God commanded him. Chapter 7, verse 1. And the Lord said to Noah, Come you and all your house into the ark. For you, have I, for you have I seen righteous before me in this generation. I have a question for you. How does God see you and I in this generation? How does He see you and I in this generation? He saw Noah righteous. And therefore, he gave Noah responsibility to his generation. The righteous always take responsibility for their generation. The Apostle Paul said, there is a dispensation of the gospel that is committed to me. And woe be unto me. He understood, I have a responsibility to the generation where God has placed me. I have a responsibility to the time I'm given on the face of this earth. This world is not my home, but while I'm here, I have a responsibility to this generation if I'm righteous. The unrighteous says, I have no responsibility to anybody. The unrighteous says, I just care for myself and my things and my goods and my will and my wants and my desires. But the righteous understands there's a call of God on my life to this generation. 
Noah was righteous. And because Noah was righteous, Noah could be called upon to preach to an unrighteous generation. And so he said, get your family in the ark. No, Noah did. You see a pattern if you read Genesis 6 and 7. We're not going to read the whole thing. Read it. You see it repeated again and again and again. It says, and Noah did according to all that the Lord commanded him. And Noah did according to all that the Lord commanded him. It shows up multiple times in those two chapters. And Noah did according. You know, there's something about just obeying God's direction for your life. You know, what if Noah would have said, you know, God, nobody's answering. Nobody's responding. Matter of fact, Lord, the opposite's happening. I'm trying to preach righteousness. Peter called Noah a preacher of righteousness. Hear me, you can't preach righteousness if you're not walking in righteousness. And so, Noah, can you imagine if he said, Lord, I'm trying to preach righteousness, but nobody wants to listen. Lord, maybe I should, maybe I should change the message. Lord, if you'd let me like put some strobe lights on this ark. You put a, Lord, let me put a smoke machine inside the door. That'll get some people going. Sorry, I'm meddling. Hear me. Noah did according to all that God commanded him. Noah, you don't get to change the ark to try to save the lost. This is my design to save them. And they will either hear the message and respond or they won't. But you don't get to do what you want with the ark. And we live in an hour, if we're not careful, where men want to change the ark. Noah, rain? Tell me again what rain is. You're saying water comes out of the sky and it's going to cover the earth? Noah, I've been living 40 years. And in my 40 years of living, Noah, do always the water comes up from the ground. It waters the earth from the ground. But you're telling me it's all going to fall out of the sky and there's going to be so much that we're... Noah, that's never happened. You're crazy. And what's this thing you're building called? And you want me to get on it. Right. And they mocked him. And Noah preached the same message for 120 years. Read it. It's in the New Testament. 120 years. You guys would have all quit coming. If you're like, Elder Hart has been preaching the same message for 17 and a half years. We're done. Noah kept. But notice. Noah kept preaching and Noah kept building. Noah kept preaching and Noah kept building. Noah kept preaching and Noah kept building. He kept preaching righteousness and he kept doing what God commanded him to do. He kept preaching righteousness and doing what God commanded him to do. Some people won't hear what you have to say when you share the truth of the word of God. Keep sharing it and do what God tells you to do. We're not responsible for the response. We're responsible for obedience to the Lord. We ought to please God rather than men. Noah preached righteousness. Noah preached righteousness. Now, you know, it's always, it's just always dumbfounded me. I mean, I can get it if people go like, man, the guy's crazy. I mean, I can get that. People have said I'm crazy, so I get it. I mean, I, you know, he's, he's crazy. I don't know what he's doing. He's, he's cutting wood. He's putting stuff together. He's calling it an ark. And he says God told him to build it. And he said God said it's going to rain so much that we're going to drown if we don't get on this thing that he's building. I mean, you got to remember, it probably sounded a little far-fetched. We read the story. We're like, you know, we put it in nurseries on people's walls and kids Right, and kids' little nurseries, right? You know, Noah's Ark and all the animals, and it's so cute. 
Can you imagine as a baby, you're going, baby, when you were little, I had you in a room that was right before the destruction of the whole earth. That's how I decorated your room. We never think about that, do we? That's what happened. And, you know, so people can think he's crazy. He's crazy. Okay. But I just got to believe, you know, in 120 years, that's three generations. So that would mean parents probably said, what are we doing this weekend? You know, why don't we just go down there and see what's going on with old Noah? That's always entertaining. So what kind of progress he's making. I bet it became, come on, what else did they have to do in that day? You know, sometimes the church may just seem like it's just standing in a city. And people see it, and they pass by it, and they observe it, and they see it. And they're like, eh, you know, I don't know what's going on. I think they're a little crazy, but still there. In the day of judgment, that which they saw day in and day out, and that which they heard along the way, God will bring back. I guarantee you, those that stood and saw the ark and heard the preaching of Noah, in the day of judgment, the Lord will remind them. He wasn't an unjust God. He's not an unjust God. He's a loving God. His love gave three generations to respond. His love preached for 120 years. His love made the way in simple. The hardness of man's heart chose not to respond. All that. I just got to believe that when I start seeing animals lining up of their own accord and just sort of start in pairs and by sevens, you know, they went in seven by seven and two by two. Right, the seven by seven were the clean animals, the two by two were the unclean. Some of y'all hadn't read that, but it's in there. No, I'm not making stuff up. I promise. You, you know why they went in seven by seven, right? Because those were the clean animals, and the Lord always has a sacrifice. And they had to have animals to eat, and they had to have animals to sacrifice. That's why they. But they weren't going to eat the unclean. That's why they just went in two by two, so they could reproduce after. Okay, there you go. Little science lesson and Bible lesson all in one. You're like, why did some go seven? They were clean. They needed food to eat. And they had to have offering for sacrifice. So, I, I mean, don't you just think that like, okay, I get it. He's crazy. I don't, this thing is done there's a door there's a window this is cool I, he says it's done it's, I mean don't you think if you'd ignored him and scoffed at him and laughed at him even through all of that once you start seeing animals start lining up and walking in you're like okay something going on I mean real is, is this just me aren't you gonna think okay this is not I mean Noah's not normal but this is not normal either I mean, I just got to believe somebody. But you know what happens is mankind, through time, mankind becomes desensitized to the supernatural. How does mankind become desensitized to the supernatural? I'll tell you how. The adversary orchestrates his own supernatural stuff. And so people assume it commonplace and they no longer discern between truth and error. Or they make a mockery of it. It's what Hollywood has done in my life and your lifetime. Where do you think the people that create these demonic things and supernatural things, and where, where do they get their inspiration from? Where does, where does their imagination get fed by? And what does it do? It causes the world to scoff at the supernatural. As though, uh, that's just Hollywood. 
Why do I not want to take that garbage into my mind? That's why. I want to hold to that which is sacred. I want to hold to that which is sacred. And so what happens is those in Noah's day, the supernatural is happening right in front of them. But they're numb to the supernatural. And we live in a day and an hour in which our world is being desensitized to the supernatural. By the God of this world. It's not new. It's not new. Remember the story of Moses? Remember Moses burning bush? Takes your shoes off, he's talking to God. God, Lord, what do I do? Lord says, hey, what's in your hand? Remember that story? A staff. Good. Throw it on the ground, Moses. Okay. Throws it down. What happens to his staff? Snake. Is that supernatural? That's supernatural. You know, it was cool. Moses, you want to talk about obedient. Moses threw it down and turned into a snake. That's all good. I'd obey, Lord. Then the Lord says, now pick it up. (laughs) That's obedience. It wasn't a staff when he picked it up. It was a snake. And he bent down and picked it up and he became a staff in his hand again. Remember that story, right? Oh, this is good. I got God on my side. I got the supernatural. I can go. And now you go to Pharaoh and you tell him to let my people go. And if he doesn't believe you, you, just, you got that staff. I'll, I'll show him. Right? Moses walks in. Pharaoh, let my people go. <laughs> Moses throws down his rod. It becomes a snake. And what happens? The sorcerers of the day in Egypt, you read in the New Testament, I believe it's in Hebrews, the, the chief ones are named, Jannies and Jambres. They take their staff and they throw it on the ground and it becomes a serpent. Hold on, what's going on? I'll tell you what's going on. The adversary is also operating in the supernatural to desensitize those to that which is the supernatural work of God versus the supernatural work of the adversary. And people can no longer discern between truth and error. This is why the scripture says, try the spirits, whether they be of God. The adversary is a deceiver. You understand, Simon, the sorcerer in the book of Acts, he said, hey, I'll give you money if you'll give me that gift. That on whomsoever I lay my hands, they'll receive the Holy Ghost. What was he doing? He was not unfamiliar with the supernatural. He was a sorcerer. But he recognized whatever they're operating in, I can't do that. Why? Because he was given to the spirit of this world, but they were given to the spirit of God. And you understand, he had deceived the whole city of Samaria. They thought he was some great being because of his sorcery until Philip showed up and started preaching Christ. And they're like, hold on a minute, this is different. And so our world becomes desensitized to the supernatural so that when the Spirit of God moves, they no longer discern. So there must be a preacher of righteousness to declare the Word of God. That was Noah. But his world was desensitized to the supernatural. And so even when they see these animals going on, eh, it's neat, but I got my life. I got my life. Fast forward to the book of Luke with me, if you would. And what did the Lord do, by the way? The Lord did exactly what he said he would do. The Lord closed the door of the ark. Noah did not close it. Noah did not get to choose the time clock of God. God has his own time clock. And when God said, done. I've suffered long, 120 years. I've given them opportunity for a, you understand when the Lord made the decision, man was already vile and evil and he was already to destroy them. But the mercy of God extended for 120 years to give people a space of repentance. And they didn't repent. Luke chapter 17.
Verse 26, Luke 17 and 26. Jesus Christ is speaking. He's trying to bring understanding to his disciples. He says, and as it was in the days of Noah, or Noah, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be also in the days of the Son of Man. And then he reminds them of what it was like in Noah's day. They did eat. They were a bunch of foodies. They did eat. They did drink. They married wives. They were given in marriage. This is when divorce really started ramping. Just, you know, I, you know, I got married here, but this didn't work. I'll divorce. I'll get another one. Given in marriage. Until they did all this. They just kept doing all this until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and got their attention. Oh, it got their attention. And what did the flood do? And destroyed them all. A loving God would destroy them all. Yes. See, this world is not my home. And I'm called, and you're called to be a preacher. Of righteousness to declare to a generation there's an ark, there's a way out. But if you don't get in the ark, the story hasn't changed. Through all of time, God has always made a way before judgment. Always. And he's always had a preacher of righteousness, a people that would declare the word of God to their generation because he's a God of mercy and a God of love. But a God of mercy and a God of love that doesn't do his word and do what he says he'll do is a God that's a liar, and that is not our God. He is not a man that he can lie. As it was in the days of Noah. The flood came and destroyed them all. Verse 28. Likewise also as it was in the days of Lot. They ate. They drank. You see in a pattern here. They did eat. They did drink. They bought. They sold. They planted. They builded. Man this sounds like today. Doesn't it? Noah's day. Violence in all the earth. Men's thoughts evil continually. Lots of day, drinking, eating, buying, selling. They were consumers. You want to talk about consumers. That's the United States, if ever. That. Consumers. The Fed's got to raise rates all the way up to 9% to get people to stop spending, and it's still not working because we're consumers. Buy and spend and buy and spend and buy and sell and buy and sell. You understand when they're talking about raising rates, what they're trying to do is get people to slow down their spending. And until people stop spending, they'll keep raising rates. Simple economics speaks to our generation and where we are. Okay. But the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven. And what did it do? What did it do? Are you seeing a pattern here? We need to understand. The God of love is also a God of judgment. And he will do what he said he'll do. And so if I'm righteous, I must become a preacher of righteousness to this generation. Every one of us in this room, if I believe the word of God is true, I must become a preacher of righteousness to this generation. I've heard the example used before, and I think it's a great one. If you're, if you're flying on a plane, anybody in here that's never flown on a plane? Got a handful of people we need to get up in the air. Okay. So I just sort of consider it practice to know what it's like when you're going to. Can you imagine if we were all on a plane together right now, sitting here on a plane, and I have knowledge you don't? Imagine, I'm saying that. I'm not saying I do. I'm saying imagine. Okay. You're like, man, he's arrogant. No, no, I'm saying imagine. 
that I know because I saw something when I passed through the cockpit. We don't have enough fuel to make it to our destination. This plane is going to crash. And I know it. But I also happen to know that there is a full complement of parachutes in the overhead bins. And if you'll take it and put it on, you won't go down with the plane. And I say, here's how you put it on. And you say, hold on, I don't like it that way. I want to put it on different. Well, no, it's not designed that way. Well, no, but like, can I just like stick my legs through the strap? It's more comfortable to sit on in this thing than to have it on my back. Well, no, it doesn't work that way. It's silly, isn't it? Well, well, can I just like lay it on my lap and then maybe? Well, I, I, I don't, I don't know when the, I don't know when you're going to have to jump, but it's it's going to be in a moment. I, I, I don't know that you'll have time to put it on at the last. Yeah, but I, I tried and it's uncomfortable. You'd think I'm that's silly, isn't it? You'd be like, man, I don't care if it's uncomfortable or not. You tell me how to put it on. You tell me how to lock it in. You tell me exactly what to do. And when this plane's going down, I thank God I know I'm not going down with it. I've read the book. This world is not eternal. And a preacher of righteousness, if you'll pardon the analogy... There's instruction in the word of God for the parachute when the world goes down. But you don't get to say, hey, God, tell me right before it happens so then I can put it on. Now. Just like it was in the days of Noah, just like it was in the days of Sodom, this is how it's going to be when the Son of Man reveals. Now. Go with me to. The book of first Peter, chapter three. I'm hurrying to finish here. First Peter, chapter three, verse 18. First Peter three and 18. For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, him for us, that he, why would he do that? That he could bring us to God. Being put to death in the flesh but quickened or made alive by the Spirit, by which also he went and preached to the spirits in prison. Verse 20. Which sometime were disobedient, when once the long-suffering of God... Watch watch what Peter's bringing their minds to. He's trying to bring his generation to understand. Peter is a preacher of righteousness in his generation. He's trying to help them understand. The long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah when the ark was preparing... God waited rather than judging them because he was trying to prepare a way for them out. It's this deception. Well, if God was going to destroy us, why wouldn't he just? He's waiting. He's trying to make a way out. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all would come to repentance. An ark was preparing where in few that is eight souls were saved by water. Did you read that? Is that what it says? It doesn't say 80,000. It doesn't say 8,000. Eight. You mean God would destroy that many people and only save eight? Yes. Because righteousness and right relationship matters to God. See, we want to either I believe the word of God or I don't. I don't get, you know, there's not this middle ground. This is, well, no, God would not do that. 
Jesus shared Noah's day and Lot's day to help understand there's a pattern here. A God who is merciful and just and long-suffering and of love. He makes a way out. But if you resist and deny and don't obey. Notice what Noah did. He obeyed. He obeyed. He obeyed. And you don't obey the word of God. This is not going to come as some surprise. You, the people in Noah's day didn't get to say, I, I, I didn't know. I never heard. Yes, you heard. Peter points this segment of time out because of verse 21. The like figure, them being in the ark and going through the water in the ark, the like figure whereunto even baptism doth also now save us. Not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but it becomes the answer of a good conscience toward God. How is this possible? By the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, flip over to 2 Peter. You'll see in both of his letters he had this theme. Why? I'm going to tell you why. Because Peter in his day, at this point in his life, when he wrote these two letters, Peter was sure and certain the Lord is about to return for his church. We don't have much time left. He told us that he was going to come again and catch us away. And so Peter is writing letters with urgency, trying to help his generation understand. The Lord's going to return. You need to be walking in righteousness. Why is he writing these letters to the church? I'll tell you why. Because the church had become complacent. They started enjoying this world as though it was their home. He was trying to help them understand the correlation between their world and their living in the days of Noah. I'm sure Peter was drawing on Luke 17. He was there, you know. I'm sure he was drawing on those words that he heard Jesus say to him and the other disciples that day. Just like it was in the days of Noah. That's how it's going to be when I return. And Peter's thinking... It's like that now. Man, people's hearts are wicked. People are eating. And so he's writing letters and he's pointing them back to Noah's day, trying to get their attention that says, hey, pay attention. There's an urgency in the hour. Peter's writing letters to the church, trying to awaken them to the hour for one of two reasons. Get in the ark or start preaching righteousness. And if Peter thought it was close in his day, I have a question for you and I. How close is it in our day? Second Peter, chapter 2. I could read this whole chapter, but I'm not for sake of time. Read it. it Peter, is, Peter is trying to warn them. False prophets among the people. There's false teachers. They've come in and they're teaching damnable heresies, he calls them. They're, they're, they're teaching things that aren't truth. They don't align with the word of God. And he said the Lord's brought. They're denying the Lord that bought them. They once had some relationship with God, but they've crossed over into their own efforts and ideas and stuff where they're now even denying the Lord that he said that even bought them. And, the, and they're bringing on themselves, he said, swift destruction. He's talking to the church about the current conditions of the day. And he said, many people are going to follow him. And the way of truth is evil spoken of because of him. And he goes through all this. And then notice verse 4, what he says. He's talking about that terrible condition and where they're at and how they use words. And they make merchandise of people. And they do all this. And they think because judgment hasn't come that it's going to be okay. And, but verse 4, he tries to awaken them to how God works. If God, he's asking them a question, the church, he's asking a question. If God did not spare the angels that sin, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment. And if God, verse 5, spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly. And if God, verse number 6, turned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes and condemned them with an overthrow, made them an example unto those that after should live ungodly. 
Do you hear Peter? Do you hear the appeal and the arrest of attention that he's trying to make take place in the hearts of believers that will read his letter? Yes, God is love. Yes, God has brought you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Yes, he's rescued you from sin and destruction. Yes, he laid down his life so that you could have life. Yes, he's brought you into the kingdom for these. Yes, he's done these things for you. But don't think because of the goodness of God in your life that he's not going to fulfill his word to judge the earth someday. you got to know the end of the story. That if you would have stayed in your condition, you would have been lost in your sin and eternally damned. And so because you understand the truth, see, they'd gotten numb to that. That's what can happen to us. I can begin to entertain and feel good about the presence and the goodness of God. As rightfully I should. I should enjoy living with and for God, filled with this. There's no greater life than this world. But I also recognize I have a responsibility to a generation. I have a responsibility to a generation. I have a responsibility to a generation. And you, child of God, if you believe the word of God, you have a responsibility to a generation. Or just hold on to your parachute and let the plane go down. responsibility watch oh Peter didn't we wish he would have stopped there but he didn't he was wanting to make sure they understood again read the whole book we're not today verse 9 the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptation and to reserve the unjust to the day of judgment to be punished but then he becomes very clear but chiefly them that walk after the flesh In the lust of uncleanness, they despise government. They're presumptuous. They're self-willed. They are not afraid to speak evil of dignities. What? These are the ones that are reserved to judgment? That's what he said. Watch verse 12. But these is natural brute beasts made to be taken and destroyed. They speak evil of the things they don't understand and they shall utterly perish in their own corruption and they shall receive the reward of unrighteousness as they that count it pleasure to ride in the daytime. Spots they are, blemishes, sporting themselves with their own deceivings while they feast with you. They have eyes that are full of adultery. They can't cease from sin. They beguile unstable souls. They have a heart that they've exercised with covetous practices. They're cursed children. Man, these sound like wicked, evil people, don't they? And they are. But this next verse grips my heart. Paul or Peter is appealing. Watch this next, watch this next verse, verse 15. Which have forsaken the right way. These are not people that never knew. That is, that's so astounding. You, if he, you read all that other stuff and you think, oh, he's talking about a lost world. Well, he is, but he's not talking about a lost world that never heard. He's talking about people that knew. He said they've forsaken the right way or the way of righteousness. What happened? They became self-willed. They became despisers of government. They they started giving into all these things of the God of this world, living after their own will. They began to lust after things. They became covetous. All these things. And they once were in the way. I don't know what that does to you, but that does something to my spirit. They've forsaken the right way. And what have they done? They've gone astray. They're following the way of Balaam. They got Balaam is the God of this world. Balaam was a prophet of God, but he was more interested in the things he could get in this world than what God had prepared for him. And he said, that's the way they're going. I'm telling you, this world is not my home. Thank you. That doesn't sadden me. That causes me to rejoice. But it also burdens me for the responsibility I have in my life. Verse 18, when they speak 
See, here's the thing. They're still speaking. He's talking about the same people. People that have forsaken the way. But clearly they have some influence with people. When they speak great swelling words of vanity, they allure through the lust of the flesh. Can I tell you what that sounds like? I believe. Live however you want. It doesn't matter. God just wants you to be happy. Do whatever you like. It doesn't matter. God just wants you to be blessed. And you know what that appeals to? My flesh. There's no cross in that. There's no dying to my will in that. That's self-will. You don't need to change. Come as you are. God loves you like you are. That's true. He does love you like you are. But he loves you too much to leave you like you are. That's why he made a way. But they allure. They allure through the lust of the flesh, through much wantonness, those that were clean escaped from them who live in error. So what do they do? They start reaching back. Those that have forsaken the way, they start alluring those that are still in the way. It may sound like this. I don't know why I'm saying all this. I'm just trusting the Lord here today. I don't have something in my crawl, so to speak, that I need to get out here. I hope you understand that. It may sound something like this. Yeah, but the heart preaches a little hard, you know, you, you know all that stuff. But, you know, that's, yeah, I know that's in there, but, you know, that's probably, you know, that was for, the, that's not for everybody. I just want to declare the word of God to you. They allure. They allure. Why does separation from the world, that doesn't really matter. Oh, but it's in the word. And they allure. They allure. There's a warning of the Lord for somebody. Watch. While they promise them liberty. See, that's the, that's the deception of the adversary. Oh, there's liberty. Live however you want. There's liberty. No obedience required. They promise them liberty. They themselves are the servants of corruption. For of whom a man is overcome of the same he's brought in bondage. Verse 20, stand with me, please. Verse 20 says, for if, watch, please see this verse. For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world, how did they escape the pollutions of the world? Not of their own doing. They escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And they are again entangled therein. Peter is not writing to someone that never knew the Lord. Peter is appealing to those that have forsaken the way. He's saying, hey, there's going to be those. Peter's appealing to those, saying, hey, there's those that once walked in the way. They escaped the pollutions of the world. They came out of the world by the knowledge of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But what happened is they got entangled again. And they became overcome. And the word of the Lord said, the latter end is worse for them than the beginning. And watch what Peter says in verse 21. For it had been better for them to not have known the way of righteousness than after they have known it to turn from the holy commandment. But it's happened to them according to the true proverb. The dog is turned to his own vomit again. There is a warning from the Lord. It's the love of God reaching to the heart. And notice Peter again and again pointed back to the days of Noah. 
Now I'll finish with these verses in chapter 3, the same book, 2 Peter 3 and 3. Knowing this first, there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lusts. And this is what it will sound like. They're scoffing. Where is the promise of His coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. What do you mean it's going to rain, Noah? I mean, it's, it's, it's never rained. 100 years, 50 years, 70 years, 90 years, 100 years, 110 years. Noah, come on. Where's the promise of the Lord returning? I've been hearing that since I was a kid. My grandfather would preach to me and talk to me about the Lord. My grandmother would tell me about the I mean, I'd go to bed and wouldn't fall asleep at night because I, I was afraid God was going to come when I laid down. I remember being like, like seven, eight years old, laying in bed, and my eyes wide open, man. I was like, ah. If you're not careful, it can make you a scoffer. Where's the promise of his coming? I mean, I'm just going to make a life here. This world's not my home. For since the fathers fell asleep, all... And this is the scoffer. This is the voice of the adversary. This is deception. Verse 5, for this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth was standing out of the water and in the water. Whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. Again, Peter's trying to point them back. Because Peter's feeling like believing where he's living in the day. It's like the days of Noah now. It's like the days of Noah. And so he's using Noah as a reference continually throughout his two letters. Read them fully. You'll understand and see it. He's saying it's that time. I'm telling us, church, we're in the last days before the Lord returns. And we must become preachers of righteousness. We must purpose. There's some things that just don't matter for my time and my effort and my energy and my finance. And my, i I got to make sure the main thing is the main thing. I need to be preaching righteousness. I need to be reaching to my neighbors. I need, you know, Jude said it this way. Some say with compassion, but others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire. What is he saying? The Spirit of the Lord appealing to us. We must be preachers of righteousness. And if I'm somewhere in this place that's gone away, I need to say I got to get my heart back in right relationship with God. I need to back in. I need to make sure I've gone through the like figure wearing to baptism. I need to make sure I've gone through the waters of baptism in the name of Jesus and had my sins washed away. I need to make sure I've repented at an altar and that I've had the gift of the Holy Ghost come and been filled with the indwelling Spirit of God, which is going to quicken me and lift me out of here when that trumpet sounds according to the word. Verse 7, finally. But the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word kept in store, held back is what that means. They're reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. I, I've got to keep reading. you got to see this. But beloved, don't be ignorant. Of this one thing. See Peter was writing to the beloved. Be not ignorant of this one thing. One day with the Lord is a thousand years. A thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise. What's he saying? Peter's saying God will do what he said he'll do. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise. As some men count slackness. But the reason his promise isn't fulfilled. Is because he's long suffering to us. Why is he long suffering? Why is he delaying the fulfillment of his word? Because he's not wanting anybody to perish, but he's wanting men to come to repentance. And so he's long-suffering, he's merciful, he's delaying judgment, desiring men to come to repentance. And hear me, the only way they're going to come to repentance is if a preacher of righteousness like Noah comes to them. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens will pass away with a great noise. This is the word of the Lord, you can believe it or not. The heavens will pass away with a great noise. The elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of person ought you to be? In all holy conversation, that means lifestyle. In all separated lifestyle and godliness. 
If you believe this, what type of person should you be is what Peter asked. Looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God. Wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. As much as the power of God within me is. I commission. I can only say this the way it's coming to me right now. I can't believe I'm saying. I commission as many as will. To be preachers of righteousness. To your generation. To be preachers of righteousness. To your generation. I helped my neighbor, my wife helped too. She stood there and looked pretty and held the level. She's better at that than I am. We helped install their mailbox yesterday. Dug a hole, all that stuff. They walked back to our house to see the dog. I've been praying for this neighbor, you know, you've heard me talk about it. We finish. Harry says, hey. You teach Bible study. You ever have Bible study at your house? And his wife's always like, about our church, our church. I'm glad they're going to church. I'm not trying to pull people out of it. You understand? I I just want to preach righteousness. I'm not judging where people are on their journey. But if I have things in the word of God that God is saying, hey, I'm using you to reveal this to them, I have a responsibility to do so. But Harry, he keeps asking. I said, well, yeah, we, we do Bible study here sometimes. He says, when? We're going to come. His wife's not saying anything. But he's like, we're going to come. to They have Bible study. I'm going to come to their Bible study, he says. And you know what? I'm going to find a date and put it on the calendar and say, Harry, this is when our next one is. So if you get an invitation from me, I just need people to help fill the room. Because I'm usually coming to all yours. And Why? Why? I have to be a preacher of righteousness. That doesn't mean me standing here. This may be part of it. But every day that I live, every life that God lets me interact with, I must be a preacher of righteousness. I have to declare the truth of the gospel that Peter declared on the day of Pentecost. What do we do? It was us that crucified him. What do we do? Peter said, you got to repent. You must be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost for the promises to you and to your children and them that are far off, as many as the Lord our God shall call. It's the Apostle Paul telling them in Acts 19, Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? They were walking in what they knew, but Paul was a preacher of righteousness and he had to bring them more truth and he had to ask them the question, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believe? We must be preachers of righteousness. Would you talk to the Lord right now where you are? If it's ever been like the days of Noah, it is right now. Eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. I pray, Lord, preachers of righteousness, preachers of righteousness, your spirit flowing through us. We are not righteous, but you are, Lord. Your word flowing through us, living letters known and read of all men. The glory of God manifested through our lives to the lives of others. In the name of Jesus, I pray. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Father, not of our own volition, not of our own producing, but the work of your Spirit through us. It is your desire. It is your desire because you're not willing that any would perish, but that all would come to repentance. And you're preparing the hearts of men. You're turning the hearts of men. You're dealing with the hearts of men. And so let us open our mouth and speak the Word of God. Let us speak the truth in love. Let it be the salvation of souls. In the name of Jesus, I pray. 
Let us pray the prayer that must be prayed. Let us speak the word that must be spoken. Order our steps. Direct our thoughts. Give us favor with men that we would speak your word. That the hungry heart would cry out in the name of Jesus, I pray. In the name of Jesus, I pray.